Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I think I think going going against the norms. I think we all have it. We all have that as a human being. I think we want to we want to stand out. We want to be different. We want people to notice us. So I kind of in my work I talk about it. I call it the prestige switch. You know, all of us. The one thing that feeds all human beings is the need to stand out. The need to be different. Um, so I think we all have that. Now some people have to use it out of necessity, like I did. Um, you know, I I want to, and I, if I cannot stand out on my on the basis of my you know, of my looks or anything else, then I will find another way to stand out. So we all have that need, the inherent need to stand out. But I think it is enabled by circumstances. So what I would tell people out there who are, you know, who feel like that they have the, they have the need, don't wait for something to enable it. You can enable it on your own. It doesn't have to be circumstantial. You don't have for you don't have to wait for someone to reject you so that then you would rebound, right? You don't have to wait for that rejection. Everyone has that inherent need to be different, to break the role, to stand out. Um, you just need to find it and activate it on your own. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community. And that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. In the episode today, you'll hear our guest mention a worksheet with the eight persuasion switches that she talks about, and you can download the worksheet at unmistakablecreative.com slash persuasion. This episode of The Unmistakable Creative is brought to you by 2020, where creatives go to get inspiring, authentic stock photos. If you're tired of scrolling through uninspiring staged images, check out 2020. Their images are crowdsourced from real-world photographers, and you can choose from millions of high-quality photos available under a simple royalty-free license. Today, 2020 is offering Unmistakable Creative listeners a free trial of five photos so you can see for yourself. To start your trial, go to 2020.com slash unmistakable. That's the word 20, then 20.com slash unmistakable to get your first five photos for free. Thanks to 2020 for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is also sponsored by HostGator. If you're looking to build a website or move an existing one, HostGator can help. They have 24-7 live support via phone chat and email, an easy-to-use website builder if you're not tech-savvy, and if you want to move your existing website from your existing host, they make it free and simple. Visit HostGator.com creative and use the promo code creative at checkout for 15% off all of their hosting packages. Bushra, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you so much for having me. It is such a pleasure. Yeah, so I was introduced to you by way of our uh, mutual mutual friend, Selena. And uh, when she told me a little bit about what you did and what you were up to, uh, given that I thought the world of her, I figured anybody who she referred was kind of a no-brainer to have as a guest. So I want to start by asking you, what did your parents do for a living? And how did that end up impacting the choices that you have made with your life and your career? Oh, okay. That's, oh, I love this question. Um, so my parents, it's really interesting because I was born to, um, both my parents were in the army. Um, so my dad was in the army. It was a typical uh, English, the English patient love story where he got wounded in the war and then she nursed him back to health and then fell in love and that kind of a story. Um, so both of them were in the army. And I think the, the, the biggest thing that I, the way it impacted me, I think most significantly is that I'm such a stickler for discipline and Kind of, I'm not uh, one of those who just who are okay with taking things in a stride. I cannot take things in a stride. I have to see the whole picture, the whole picture planned out. So I think that's one of the biggest thing. Um, I really wanted to go into army. I wanted to be one of those who, uh, you know, kind of. Uh, live up to the name that my parents had <laughs> kind of created for themselves. Um, and I wanted to do that when I grew up, um, but somehow it did not turn out that way. And even though I wanted to go into army and be one of those uh, people who make a name for themselves, I ended up being an accountant of all the people. <laughs> and this is like the worst thing you could do <laughs> to to a dream. Um, but yeah, I, I think the biggest thing that it did was that it, 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 it has turned me into a person who cannot deal with uncertainty. I cannot process uncertainty. I cannot deal with things that are not clear. Um, but God, I ended up being an accountant. So I don't even know where maybe they forced me to be an accountant I don't know <laughs> but this is this is that was the first the first career choice that I made and I've made many after that but the first one was that I became a became an accountant wow okay I'm curious how you go from being an accountant to doing what you do today because um, there are a lot of strange paradoxes here to me one is you know being an accountant is very different than being in the army too you said that you can't handle uncertainty very well but being an entrepreneur comes with a tremendous amount of uncertainty so uh, walk me through how you get 
get from, you know, being an accountant to doing the work that you do today around persuasion? So um, I think the, one of the biggest reasons that I became, I became an accountant was that I really, uh, two things. Uh, thing number one, I really like money. I'm not, I'm not ashamed to admit that. I like money. And when I decided to become an accountant, uh, get into fi- accounting and finance, one of the biggest reasons I did that was because it was one of the highest paid careers in my country. So that was one reason. And the other reason was because it was a different profession. It wasn't the kind of thing most people did, um, especially women. It wasn't the choice that a woman would make, you know, to become an accounting and finance. Again, I'm talking about my culture. So I was in I was in Pakistan. There were hardly there were hardly any girls, really. Um, you would not find anyone who would say, oh, you know, she's 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 a chartered accountant. That's not that wasn't very common. So my need to be different and my need to make money because I really liked money. I think that was the ch- that was the reason that I became. I was I sucked at maths and stats and numbers and to date I have no idea why I chose to do something <laughs> that I sucked so hard is it unbelievable what a bad accountant I was uh, and I'm married to an accountant so and he reminds me every single day how bad I was and I so anyhow I became an accountant I made a bunch of money um and then I, 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 I was miserable, honestly, because, you know, I, I think I'm a really, I have a really, um, uh, how should I put it, a really uh, colorful personality, shall I say, and I didn't get to exhibit that colorful personality um, in accounting. But, but then it opened up a lot of those doors that would not have opened for me. Again, I will remind you that I am coming from a culture where women do not you know, do not do a lot of these. They don't have a lot of, they, now it's different. But when I was growing up, um, you, you don't have to have big lofty dreams. You don't have to have a lot of ambition, but I really wanted to do all of those big things. So I became considering that I, you know, I'm a girl and I, I didn't have to do all of those things. I could just very easily get married and move on and just, you know, I didn't have to do any of those things. Um, I became a, 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 a female vice president and at that of, of, a, of a bank, which at that time was, oh my God, what, you're like 24 and you're a girl and you're a vice president of a bank. So that was a big deal. It opened a lot of those doors for me. Um, but you have to understand, I'm also extremely flaky. <laughs> I, am, I like to say I'm flaky AF. I'm extremely flaky. So, um, so it was like when I got married and I had my son, it was kind of like a permission for me to stop doing the accounting work, the finance work. I could actually move on and do something else. Um, so from there, I um, dropped, I stopped working, not stopped working, as in I quit my corporate career. Um, I was a vice president. I was making a lot of money. And even people were like, oh, my God, why would you do that? And I was like, oh, I'm doing it because I want to spend more time with my kid. But the reality was that I was so done with accounting and finance that I really wanted to move on. So um, from there, I went into academia. From academia, I went into consulting. Uh, We moved to Saudi Arabia. And then three years ago, I was working in consulting, making a bunch of money, um, doing a lot of the work that no one could imagine anyone, a woman, an expat woman could do in Saudi Arabia. Um, And then I decided to try my hand at entrepreneur. So you have to understand that since I'm not a risk taker, uh, I'm, I'm extremely careful of the decisions that I make. When I started this online business uh, three years ago, almost three years ago, um, I did not, I I did it, first of all, I did not tell anyone that I was doing it because I was too ashamed to tell anyone that I'm doing something as shameful as online business. (laughs) And secondly, I was I still continued with my offline business, offline work, uh, consulting work. So I did that for about two years, two years. I did both things in parallel, uh, my online business and my offline work, because I really wasn't sure that this is going to fly. I actually thought that this is just, you know, this is just fun and it'll, you know, I'll probably make, a, you know, a bunch of money and then it'll stop working. So and then somehow it did work out. <laughs> then I did quit my offline work and now I'm just doing this all. But but. 
for sure that's not how it started mm. wow so many questions come from that um, I am glad you brought up the, the fact that you grew up in Pakistan because I was very curious you know when you mentioned the fact that your parents had this sort of very English patient love marriage that's not common in your culture um, I, I know this because I'm Indian like I know that that's not even yeah. close to the story of my parents I'm curious how having that dynamic in your parents relationship influenced um, the way you've built relationships and the things that you did later in your life uh, actually it did not it, it's very interesting because considering that they were in a generation there are and I'm so glad that you asked me this question. I, I talk about my culture a lot in my interviews, but no one really understands. Most people do not understand how how different it is from the way things are in in, in the in the Western world. So there are people in my generation who get married and they've never met their husband or wife till the day of the marriage. And this is unthinkable for the Western culture, but, but that's the reality. I know there are my friends. I know people who married a complete stranger and I'm like, okay, so imagine <laughs> that people, and this is, and I asked someone, I was like, what if he, what if his breath smells, you know, okay, I can't think of anything else, but gosh, <laughs> what if he has body odor? I, I know I'm being really shallow, but gosh, but that's a reality. That's what happens uh, a lot, a lot in our culture. So considering that my parents were from a different generation, um, this was completely unthinkable. And um, yes, uh, when I eventually fell in love and I decided to get married, um, everyone told me, oh, you know, don't you worry about it. It'll be super easy for you. And I was like, I'm not sure, even though my parents... um, kind of did something unconventional i'm not really sure they'd be open to having me do the same thing and lo and behold that's exactly what happened <laughs> when when we decided to get married um not only were his parents not comfortable uh my parents were not comfortable and this is such a weird thing as in you did the same thing yourself <laughs> and now you're not comfortable with your parents with your children doing it so yes that was interesting um we also come from different sects which is again something that is unthinkable for people in the western world but my husband is from a different sect I am from a different sect. So even if it's the same religion, just because it's a different sect, it's a big deal. Kind of intermarrying amongst uh, sects is a big deal. So, yeah, that was interesting. (laughs) But, yeah, eventually they did agree. Yeah. You know, the the other thing that that has come up over and over again in in the short time that I've talked to you is the notion that, you know, despite being a woman in a culture that doesn't really uh, make it easy for women, you've overcome a number of barriers. And I'm curious what enables that? Like, what is it that enables you to overcome cultural barriers that are that that ingrained in a culture? I think one of the biggest thing that's a, that's a, I, I've never thought of it this way. I've never thought of why I did this. I know that how I know how I did this. Mm-hmm. I know all the things that I navigated through, but I don't know. I don't know the answer to why because I could just very easily say it's because it's the, it's because of the way I am. It's because of the kind of person I am. But I've never really sat down and thought to myself, why didn't I just settle down and get married? Maybe because I think I'll be I'll be I'll be I'll be honest. Maybe because I did not see myself having that opportunity. So I was not a beautiful child. So again, uh, going back to a cultural thing, um, uh, not only was I not a boy, so that's disappointing. I was also not a pretty little boy, which is even more disappointing. So um, so our culture is if you're, you know, if you're born a girl, uh, bad for you. But at least if you're a pretty girl, things would be okay for you. But if you're not even pretty, uh, God help you. So I think one of the things that that made me want to break the rules were because the rules would not have worked for me anyway. Um, people would not have walked into my house and said, oh, you know, th- look at this beautiful girl. We'll just marry our son off to her because she's so pretty. <laughs> I didn't have that option. And also because I was smart. Um, and I know there, there are a lot of people, a lot of women who are smart, but if you're smart and beautiful, your beauty kind of overshadows your intelligence because because you're beautiful. So I know because my elder sister, she was she's beautiful, like 
like the she's like beautiful <laughs> so obviously you know the opportunities for her are different uh, versus opportunities that are there for me so i think that's one of the reasons um why i decided to break all the norms because the norms did not enable me they did not work in my favor so i had to do something else i had to find another way to get noticed to get people to see me to get people to acknowledge me yeah, that's really interesting because I, I was having a conversation with my business partners about people who break norms and people who violate rules. And, and I, you know, I, I told them, I said, you know, some of us have to choose ourselves because there's no other option. Like, I, yeah, I very yeah. much feel that way. Um, but it took me a very long time to come to that conclusion. I wish I had figured it out when I was in my mid 20s. But in many ways, maybe if I hadn't gone through what I had in my 20s, I wouldn't have figured it out in my 30s. Um, that tendency to go against the mold. I am curious, uh, one, whether it can be learned. Do you think some people are just naturally born with it? And if they have it and they don't know what to do with it, what would you tell them? Tell them? I think I think going going against the norms. I think we all have it. We all have that as a human being. I think we want to we want to stand out. We want to be different. We want people to notice us. So I kind of, in my work, I talk about it. I call it the prestige switch. You know, all of us, the one thing that feeds all human beings is the need to stand out, the need to be different. Um, so I think we all have that. Now, some people have to use it out of necessity, like I did. Um, you know, I, I want to, and I, if I cannot stand out on my, on the basis of my, you know, of my looks or anything else, then I will find another way to stand out. So we all have that need, the inherent need to stand out. But I think it is enabled by circumstances. So what I would tell people out there who are, you know, who feel like that they have the, they have the need, don't wait for something to enable it. You can enable it on your own. It doesn't have to be circumstantial. You don't have for you don't have to wait for someone to reject you so that then you would rebound, right? You don't have to wait for that rejection. Everyone has that inherent need to be different, to break the role, to stand out. Um, you just need to find it and activate it on your own. Um, most people just wait for most most of our watershed moments unfortunately happen because we go through one of those things either someone rejects us or you know someone um, something happens that that makes us that, that that activates that particular need but the reality is it's there you can still activate it so even if you are uh, a beautiful smart woman um, who could have a million people wanting to marry her you could still choose not to go that go down that road I'm not I did not I did not have that option but there are people who are in that position who have everything going for them and everything kind of laid out for them, they can still choose not to go to, go, go down that path. It is completely doable. It's completely a choice. Mm. All right. So knowing that you are a parent and knowing that a lot of parents are listening, I'm curious, based on sort of the life experience that you've had, the career that you've had, um, how it's informed, you know, your, your parenting choices and, and how you're raising your kids. So, uh, so many things, but but most importantly, I think this because I have a boy and a girl. So, um, and I'm a massive feminist. So, I think one of the biggest things that I need to remember every single day is to is to tell them about this that the opportunities for both of you are identical, which is not true. <laughs> Unfortunately, it is not true. My son does not have the same, my daughter does not have the same opportunities that my son has. But as long as in the in my house, as long as that I am exposing them to opportunities, I want them to grow up and believe that they have the same opportunities. Um, I don't want at any point, and considering that there are certain things, considering that I live in Saudi Arabia, which means that every single corner that we turn, my daughter is reminded that she does not have the same opportunities, that she does not, that she's not an equal, that she, God, I don't even know where to start. In every single thing that we do, she's reminded that she's different. She's not enough. So one of the biggest things that is a part of my parenting is to remind them every single day that the opportunities, their opportunities, they have the same opportunities. And if at any point, it seems like my daughter does not have the same kind of opportunities to remind her that you create your own opportunities, even if they're not 
the way they're supposed to be, even if the split is not as equal, which is, again, something that I see every single day, considering in Saudi Arabia, this is something that I face. Mm. You know, one of the, the things that I was really curious about is what are the misperceptions that you think Westerners have about the role of women in societies like the one in Saudi Arabia? Like, what do we not know? I mean, other than what we see on TV, because sometimes I feel like we get a somewhat limited view. And now I get to ask somebody like you about it. So I'm curious, what is what is you know, what does it look like up front that we don't see? So one thing that people don't know, and I keep, you know, I have to remind them is, and again, this, this, when I say this, it sounds horribly sexist, but I will tell you why this is the reality. And the reality is that Saudi women, and I'm not Saudi, I'm an expat, but I have worked in Saudi Arabia for six, seven, six years, uh, predominantly with, uh, I have not, I've not worked with expats at all. I have predominantly worked with Saudis, uh, Saudi nationals, and kind of within the Saudi corporate culture. And one thing that I've seen, and this is huge, and it is really a, uh, atypical. This is not something you would expect. So not something that media tells you. But Saudi women are far more superior than Saudi men. And it sounds extremely sexist, but I'll tell you why that is true. <laughs> uh, because if a Saudi woman is sitting in... Um, even if she's an intern, even if she's an assistant manager, or even if she's you know at a at a at a mid-level corporate position, it took her probably ten it it took her ten times uh, the effort that a Saudi man would take to get to that position. So not only is she more resilient, she's also hardworking, extremely hardworking. She's also extremely intelligent, and she has the emotional intelligence to kind of uh, navigate through that that net that does not allow her to kind of grow to that position. And that is such a pleasant surprise. So I have worked with so many Saudi women and my God, they are amazing. And I used to think that Pakistani women or Indian women, for example, that I've worked a lot with as well. I thought they were smart, <laughs> but Saudi women, it's unbelievable how smart, how resilient, how emotionally intelligent they are because they had to fight, I don't know, a million wars to be where they are. And, and it's getting better and better. So within the last six, seven years, I've seen the number of women, the quality of uh, Saudi women in the corporate culture um, just multiply so much. And it's just amazing to see them grow. And I, I really think that the future of Saudi Arabia, if, and again, I'm not, it's not my country, but I really think that the only thing that can make a difference in this country is the, is the females of Saudi Arabia. And they are, oh God, they're amazing. Wow. You know, another thing that really struck me as you started your story is that you made no apologies for the fact that you like making money, which I, I appreciate because I think this is another one of those very sort of complicated subjects that gets um, really, I, I think the, the narratives that we grow up with around money, the things that we think about money, all of these things have such an impact on our lives and we don't even realize it. So I'm curious, uh, you know, what what is your own personal internal narrative around it other than the fact that you like it? And, and what do you say to people who are struggling with it or what do you usually think is the cause of people's challenges with money? Um, I, I think there are, when it comes to money, I think there are a lot. There are there are people who like money because they like spending it, and there are people who like money because they like making it. Um, for me, I'm more of a of the sort of person who likes making money because I like the possibilities that come with having money. So I'm not. Uh, we're not on video right now, so if you, I can't see you where I, I can't show you where I am. But my office is in a closet, like a <laughs> like for real. So I'm not saying it just to. I'm not making it up it is in a closet because you know i don't see the need to to upgrade i don't see any value that it brings to my life by upgrading i don't do labels i don't do brands i literally do not like spending money um, but i love making money i love the idea of making money because i love the opportunities that come with money um, and one of the biggest things that i have seen uh, and, and that's what i tell everyone you know Think of money as something that enables whatever you are passionate about. For me, um, when I started working, uh, the, the first money that I made, I used to make uh, about $10 a month. $10 a month. Uh, and I remember that with those $10 a month, um, I used to donate 10% of that, right? So it was only a dollar, but it was a big deal. Now I make almost $100,000 a month. And 
now when I take that 10% away, which I still do, I it's unbelievable to me what difference, what impact can I make with the death 10%. So the only thing that I would tell everyone, and I always do, is that don't be afraid of charging higher prices. Don't be afraid of, and if you want to charge lower prices, don't worry about that as well, because money does not determine your worth. Money does not determine anyone's worth. All money does is that it allows you, it enables you to do things that are important for you. If you, whatever you want to do. My problem is that I don't like to do anything, honestly. <laughs> I'm such a lame, I really do not. The only only thing that I like to do is sleep and eat and that's it <laughs> work so how much can you eat you know how much more can I eat um, so that's my problem but but the reality is it just allows me to do so many things that I it allows me to and it's kind of unfortunate, but love is unfortunately not enough. Right? Love and compassion is not enough. So when you look at something or when you um, something that you really want to bring about a change in, um, you can't just say, you know, oh, I'm I will help you out or I will, you know, I'm sending you good thoughts or I'm sending you prayers, even though they are important. Absolutely, they are important. But the, 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 the ability to kind of step in and say, you know what, I can actually make a difference in whatever that situation is that power gosh i it just it's unbelievable to me the amount of power that money uh, brings to me when i want i look at a situation and i can actually bring about a change and 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 with as my business grows and i'm sorry i'm going on and i'm rambling <laughs> but uh, but with money the other thing that comes in now with my business uh, i could have made this kind of money you know maybe i'm not sure i could but maybe i could have made this kind of money in corporate as well but one thing that my business has allowed me to do it not only has it allowed me to make all of that money but also um, to to allow me to create a community that i I can then leverage if I want to raise money for anything. And that is one thing that I think most entrepreneurs do not understand. So for example, my Facebook group has right now about 16,000 people and 16,000 people who I can ask to support a cause. That power to do that, that power to to support any cause, to support anything, is just unbelievable. Even if one person, one person, um, say supports with one dollar, that's still sixteen thousand dollars. So, so yes, that the reason that I love money is because I love the I love the the opportunities that come with money, and whatever that opportunity is, whether you want to change, change the world, or you want to get a new pair of shoes, or you want to travel first class, whatever that you want to do, I love the possibilities that come with money. You know, the thing that really struck me uh, was that you mentioned the 10% even when you were making $10 a month, which, uh, you know, it's, it's so funny because I've heard a version of that exact story over and over and over and over again. And every book I've read about billionaires and every person who's taught me about wealth, I've seen that pattern. Um, why is that? What is the, What is the reason that that is the case with so many people? I, I I think I think it's really simple. I think um, so. I'm I'm going to go a little bit religious on you here, <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. I promise I will not overdo it. Um, but in our religion, um, we are by by you know by law, as in by the religious law, you're supposed to give away 2.5 percent, right? So so you're told that 2.5 percent is something that you have to give anyway, right? Um, so that's the bare minimum. And I used to think that, why is that? Why am I, why do I have to? Why do I, why am I required to give that 2.5%? Um, and then I realized is that when you do that, basically you, you're just, you, so you're either the giver of the 2.5% or you are the receiver of 2.5%, right? Either you are the giver of 10% or the receiver of the 10%. You choose, if you choose from the get-go if you decide to be the giver of the 10%, then you will always be the giver of the 10%. But if you don't, then basically, because there is no middle ground, you're either the giver or you're the receiver, or you're either, either you're on the receiving end of, you know, uh, charity or help or support, or you're on the giving end. So I think it's a choice that you make. If you choose consciously to become on the giving end of the 10% at the get-go, then you will always be at the giving end. And I think that message, um, 
I'm not woo woo at all, so I'm hesitant to say that message to the universe. I don't want to say it, right. but the reality is that it's a conscious decision that you make. You are consciously saying, you know what? I'm rich enough to give away 10%, I, and I'm always going to be rich enough to give away 10%. Um, the only difference is that that 10% amounts to something completely different as you start making more money. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Mm, wow. Okay, great. Well, let's do this. Um, let's shift gears and let's get into your actual work because I know that you do a, a tremendous amount of work around persuasion and influence, which to me is, is always fascinating, especially because I think that anybody who is listening to this, whether they realize it or not, in some way or another, is always persuading and influencing people. Um, so I'm wondering if you could walk us through some semblance of a framework for how to make our ideas more persuasive. So... Um so it's interesting <clears throat> because for me, again, the need to be more persuasive, it stemmed from a need, right? So it wasn't luxury. It was a need. So uh, something that when I was growing up, uh, I wanted to get a yes. I wanted to get a yes to my ideas, to my work, to me. And, um, I, and I started experimenting with a lot of things that some worked, some did not work. So for the longest time, I thought that it is... Um, it is an inherent skill. It is something that you develop. Um, but the reality is that it doesn't have to be. You can have a framework, and there are so many frameworks out there. We, I think the most predominant one that everyone 
uses and refers to is the is the framework of uh, by Robert Cialdini, which mm-hmm. is the book Influence. Now, my framework is a bit different, um, simply because. I think I've I've um, I've looked at many different uh, uh, aspects of social sciences, and I've taken the ones that I have personally tested over and over again. And I think before I get into the framework, one thing that I want to say, and I think it's important, especially for your audience. Because when I use the word persuasion, the very first thing that happens is people are like, oh, my God, that's icky. Oh, God, that's uh, that's horrid. And why would you want to do that? It's so manipulative. And I think one thing that we need to understand is, and I think that definition has to be spelled out. So I'm just going to take that opportunity to spell it out. Persuasion is not something that a person does to the other person. You need to understand this. If you keep thinking that persuasion is something that you do to the other person, you will always think it's icky because it comes with this, with this, uh, with this mindset that I'm forcing someone to do something. Right? I'm doing something to the other person because the reality is that persuasion is not something that one person does to another person. Instead, persuasion is something that a person does to herself in response to the stimulus that she's exposed to. Right? So I. I cannot persuade you to do anything. What I can do where my power extends to is to expose you to the right stimulus. And then it's up to you to convince yourself, to persuade yourself to do what I'm expecting you to do in response to the stimuli that I just exposed to, expose you to. So your power as a persuader is only to expose the other person to the right stimulus. And I think this is really important because if you don't understand that, then there is not only the risk that you will think it's icky and it's manipulative because you're thinking like you're you know, you're crawling inside someone's brain and you're trying to uh, turn them into a brain dead zombie. That's not how it works. Your power is just to expose them to the right stimulus. And I, my work is all about what those stimuli are. What do you need to expose them to if you want them to take the action that you want them to take, right? So that's, I think that distinction is important. What exactly is persuasion? Now, Within the framework, I have something called um, a mass persuasion method, which has eight persuasion switches. Um, and I'll just quickly walk through those eight persuasion switches. And again, I've used them to get salary negotiations. I've used them to get flight upgrades. <laughs> I've used them in online business and offline business. Um, I've used them on my husband. Don't tell him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, so rea- really, the, 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 there are uh, an idea is that there are eight persuasion switches and you need to look at human brain like an electric circuit. Um, and if you want to spark a yes or spark attention in that circuit, in that human brain, you need to activate eight persuasion switches. And the more switches that you activate, the higher is the likelihood of you getting a yes. Um, and the one switch that I referred to a little bit when we we're having this discussion was the prestige switch. And prestige switch really is, its no matter what you're selling, I don't care what you're selling, whatever you're selling, if you can frame your offer on or whatever you're trying to convince the other person to, if you can frame your offer as something that enhances the uh, the social status or the prestige of the person, then you've got a sale. And most people, when they talk about their products or their offers, they talk about the benefits or they talk about the benefits beneath the benefits. And, you know, they're all the copywriting principles. But the reality is that the biggest human need that surpasses everything is our need to stand out, for our need to be known as someone who's in the know, our need to be seen as someone who has a higher social status. So no matter what you're selling, if you can frame it as something that enhances their prestige, that enhances their social status, then you have a sale. So as an example, this is my favorite example, even if you're selling a lawnmower, for example, um, most people would look at the lawnmower and they would say, the way they would try to sell it and they would say, you know, there's this high-speed motor and it allows you uh, to cut your, uh, cut your grass in 30 minutes or less, right? So it seems like, a good offer but if you want to take it one step further you could say something like oh you know this this high-speed motor allows you to cut the grass in under 30 minutes so that you have a lush green lawn right that's where most people position it lush green lawn is the benefit that you're going for but the reality is that most more powerful than the 30 minute uh, work or the lush green lawn the one thing that really motivates people the one thing that really makes people buy thousand dollar lawn mowers is not the lush green lawn it's not the 30 minute grass cutting time but it is the need to 
to look like they have the person has the money L- the need to look like they you know to to make the fat judgy neighbor next door <laughs> uh think that oh my god they're rich look at the lawn they have so that need for us to stand out that need for us to um to be seen as someone who's in the know someone who's who has everything under control someone who has you know someone has the money or has the looks or has the relationship super mom label um all of those other things that drive us more than anything else so whatever you're selling if you can frame it as um something that enhances their social status then you have the sale so so that's the first one that's the one that is if you don't do anything else try to position your offer and when i was in corporate and um if i am if i am and i used to <laughs> i was a person who would coach other people to you know if you're going to go have a conversation about a pay raise um then you need to make sure that you when you talk about the pay raise you don't talk about how the pay raise is going to help you instead you're going to talk about how that pay raise will allow you to help the company or the hr manager shine more because that's really the prestige switch Okay, so uh, I'll just quickly walk through the rest of them because then it'll be otherwise we'll be here all night. Um, <laughs> so, so the next one is <clears throat> the parity switch. The parity switch is all about um, positioning your offer or positioning whatever you're talking about, uh, positioning your proposition as something that's better than the alternative. So, whatever the alternative is out there, if you're in uh, if you're in the market and you're selling something, then how does your product or does how does your offer is how is it different from the other competitions, right? What else is out there, and whoever you're competing against you need to address the substitutes head on that's the parity switch because human beings by nature when we uh, when we when we look at something when we see something it is it is absolutely natural for us to do these comparisons right um so when people when people when people are exposed when you are exposing people to your offers they are doing the comparison in their heads they are uh, comparing you to the next available option so you might as well address that head on and say you know what I am this is how this is different and this is how I am um my my product is better and even if you're not competing against anything because a lot of people will say oh you know there is no competition I'm not competing against anything and that's fine even if you're not competing against anything you're still competing against a no right um the person can still say no that's an option so talk about how your product or your offer or your proposition is going to be better than the next available option which could essentially be a no um so that's um switch number 2 the next one is the believability switch and believability switch is uh, again uh, some people most people address the believability switch but i think they only address half of it because what they do is they they when they talk about their product or their sales or their offers um they talk more about why people should believe them or their product right that's what they talk about but the reality is that one of the biggest reasons people don't buy is not because your product is not good enough or they don't buy because you are not good enough one of the biggest reasons people don't buy is because they don't believe in their own ability to get the results right and when you when i talk about believability switch i talk about three things make the person believe you make the person believe your product and make the person believe in her own ability to get the results because if that third one is not true then you could have the best product in the world but the person will not buy because she looks at this and think you know what great product great person but would never work for me because you know i'm a loser or whatever so that's the believability switch <laughs> The next one is um relatability switch and relatability switch kind of ties back to the the psychological um uh, psychological concept of the pratfall effect and the idea of the pratfall effect is to is that when someone appears less than perfect when someone appears like they're more relatable someone who has flaws uh, then people like them more so if you want to appear more likable if you want people to like you more if you want people to relate to you more then you have to ditch that aura of perfection that everyone is selling on the internet i don't understand <laughs> everyone has the same weird lounging picture on the beach or on the yacht gosh stop <laughs> with that because it's like it's it's a stop it, 
first, uh, and, and when I do webinars, I kind of um, uh, Photoshop my face on some of those pictures and I say, look at me on, on my on my yard, look at me, just to kind of make fun of those. Because the reality is that when you do this, um, in, in your head, you're thinking that you are, you know, this is because you want people to lust after your life. But the reality is you're also alienating people because human beings, we naturally relate to people who are more like us. Um, and the Pretfall effect tells us that if you want to appear more likable, then you have to appear less than perfect. You have to appear more human. Otherwise, when you say the sentence, which is so weird because you show this picture of you lounging on a yacht with a wine glass in hand and a feather up your butt and then you go on and tell me uh, I'm just like you no you're not like me have you seen me so <laughs> this I'm really passionate about this as you could have you know yeah. I'm sure you've judged by now uh, so it's it's weird because you can't say I'm just like you because you're not dude you're not <laughs> so um so that's the relatability switch the next one is the curiosity switch, which we know is important because human beings, we we have this innate need to close information gaps. So when we see something that seems a little bit off, uh, it makes us want to know more. The problem with curiosity switch is that as as with everything else, Internet has killed it. <laughs> uh, clickbait has become so common that people have started mistrusting curiosity. But it still works because, you know, no matter what BuzzFeed does, <laughs> there is still this human need for closing information gaps. So curiosity still works. And if you want people to pay attention to you, um, one of the biggest things is to use curiosity. And um, on the internet, especially, if you don't have someone's attention, you don't have their sale. Um, attention is the currency of the internet. So if you want someone's attention, you have to make them pay attention. And one of the best ways to do that is through curiosity. Um, the next is urgency, which we all know that human beings are natural procrastinators if you want someone to take action right now you have to give them an incentive to take action right now otherwise they're just going to sit around eat bonbons and not take action so um, a real authentic urgency to get them to act is super 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 important that's the urgency switch um, number seven is the desirability switch and desirability switch is where you paint a picture of how their life is going to be after they have invested in your product or in your offer um, and I like to talk about desirability a lot so I love painting pictures of how their life is going to be if they choose to do whatever I want them to do um, so that that life because again human beings when you paint a picture and you paint a good picture of an afterlife not an afterlife like not life after death I'm not a native English speaker so I make these weird mistakes <laughs> paint a picture of the afterlife you on uh, on your way to heaven no no <laughs> Um, I mean, the life after they've invested uh, in whatever you want them to invest in. Um, when we paint a picture and when the person is listening to that or reading that, they could, and if you've done a good job, they could see themselves living that life, living that life after. And that is so powerful because human beings, we think that they buy products um, or they want our programs or our courses or our products, but the reality is they don't. If it was up to them, they would totally skip over our courses. They don't want my course. Who wants a course? All they want is the after, right? They're uh -huh. paying money for the after. No one wants your course. If it was up to them, they'd totally skip over the course. They'd totally skip over the sale. Right. And they would just go directly to the after. So please paint a picture of that after um, so they can live it. And when they have lived it, they will want to go through the pain of buying your course or your product just so they, they could get to the after. And last one, which for me is really important because my entire business is built on this one thing, um, is the edutainment switch. Um, and the edutainment switch is how are you getting, how are you entertaining people? So even if it's your sales page, even if it's your video, I don't care what it is you're doing. You need to entertain people. It's kind of unfortunate, but we have become, uh, internet has turned everyone into an 
entertainment seeker, right? No matter what we are doing, we need mental stimulation. We've become so addicted to entertainment that if we don't see it, we would not do it. So whether it's a video or it's a course, even if it's a course, even if it's a sales page, use those edutainment elements, use those elements to make it a little bit more interesting, um, whether it's sharing a bit of your personality or making them laugh in some way. But do that because that mental stimulation is what will keep them reading. It will keep them hooked on. And again, if they're hooked on, then they become fans. So keep it interesting. Edutainment should be an overarching theme in no matter what you do, because unfortunately, we are living in a world where people are becoming entertainment seekers. So give it to them if you want to sell. So eight switches. Wow. Okay. That was like epic. I'm going to have to go back and listen to that a dozen times because there's so much stuff in there that you just said. Uh, so a couple of questions come from this one. I'm assuming this is not just something that can be used in terms of selling products, but in terms of our, our relationships as well, given that you mentioned that you've used it on your husband uh, and told us not to tell him. So I had to ask about that. You know, how can how can this be used in our, our interpersonal or intimate relationships? Um, and then the other is, are there certain situations where certain switches are more appropriate based on context? And are there certain switches that are going to be uh, much closer to somebody's natural strengths, which I realize are like three questions in one. Um, so so I'll, I'll take the first one first. So, so two switches that I think... Um, in all interpersonal communications and even with my kids, which is a freaking miracle that I could actually convince my kids to do something. Uh, <laughs> but but, but two things, the, the prestige switch, which which is kind of, uh, it's if you're dealing with children, um, this has to be disclaimer. Um, I think we need, as a parent, I think we have that responsibility. We need to be a little bit careful using the prestige switch, simply because I don't want my kids to do things just because it makes them look good, mm-hmm. right? I want them to do things because it is the right thing to do, not because it makes them look good. So, so that is one switch that I, I, I'm really careful of not using it with my children, but I have absolutely no moral obligation to not use it with my husband because he's a grown-up. I'm not responsible for his <laughs> for his upbringing. <laughs> he can, you know, as long as I get a yes, I don't care. Um, but, but framing every argument, framing every single thing um, as a way for them to look better. And I, I I will use this and I, it's not my own. I wish I'd said that. I wish I was that smart, but I read somewhere and I love this line. Uh, you can get anyone to do anything if you can get them paid, made or laid. And, <laughs> and really just keep that in mind, right? If you can get them get, if you can get them paid, made or laid, um, then you got whatever you want, <laughs> whatever you can make anyone do anything. So I think that is really uh, important. And then um, desirability switch. So I don't, think enough people uh, when they talk about in, in interpersonal communications when you're trying to convince the other person I think we focus too much on the now right we focus too much on why it's important now but the reality is like I said people what people want more than anything else is a better after and they would do anything for that better after so focus more on the focus less on the now and more on the better after no matter what it is in your interpersonal communications and this is by the way super important just a strong tip for anyone who is booking vacations right now because we're booking vacations and uh, I need to use a lot of desirability switch to to book a vacation uh, because my husband likes to do vacations that are not really vacations they're more like a labor camp (laughs) I swear I'm like listen dude I've walked 17,000 steps this is not a freaking vacation this is like a torture chamber so I need to use a lot of desirability switch to kind of get him to see the light (laughs) so so definitely that's important when it comes to person uh, 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 I love that question where you said where you said someone's um, uh, someone's personal strength Mm -hmm. so I I will have to say this uh, because I know this. Whenever I talk about parity switch, most and my 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 target audience is mostly women. Uh, the one the one switch that people are most uncomfortable about is the parity switch, and they will tell me, "Oh no no no, I don't want someone else to make. I don't want someone else to look lame. I don't want to talk about my competition. I don't want them to think that someone else is lame just so that I could look better." And the reality is that you don't have to. 
when I talk about parity switch, I'm not saying that you go all in and try to look everyone else look lame. That's not what it is. But the reality is that if you're not comfortable talking about your competition because you're not comfortable making someone else look bad, you don't have to. But you still need to acknowledge how you're different because if you don't do that, again, human beings, we are, we do this natural comparison, whether it's a first date or the new brand of toilet paper, we're always compa- comparing, we're always doing this comparison in their head, in our heads. So make sure you address it. You don't have to address it in a mean way. You don't have to address and saying, everyone else is lame, just buy from me. Um, but do it, you can scale it up and down based on what is what kind of personality you have. I have absolutely no problem calling BS on everyone else, but that's just me. But if you're not comfortable, don't do it. Do it the way you would do it. But do understand that, especially when it comes to parity switch, people are doing the comparison in their heads. So please don't let them do it on their own. Facilitate that process. Step into that conversation and facilitate that comparison. Otherwise, they will do the comparison in their own heads and they will arrive at a conclusion that you may not like, right? Mm, wow. You know, I'm curious at, at this point in your life, do you even have to think about this consciously anymore? Or is it just part of the way you kind of see the world and operate? I do have to think about, I do have to think consciously about everything because I'm an extremely emotional person. So I have the eight switches printed out, which I would, I would love to share the graphic with you um, as well. I will send it to you as soon as we're done with this call. Excellent. Um, I have it printed out and actually, you know, I, I will, I will also send you a PDF that kind of yeah, gives we'll, a lot of we'll include it as a, as a, as a download and uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll mention it to you guys in the show notes. So definitely come and check it out. We'll, we'll, we'll yeah. get it emailed out to people. So, so I have, I have that printed out and um, uh, on, on one of the many uh, doors in my closet office, <laughs> I have that printed out and put up because I need to remind myself every single day because we are so driven by emotions, at least I am, that sometimes I forget. I talk too much about me. So I need to remind myself to not talk too much about me because it's not about me. It's about the other person. So no, I wish I could say that it's become second habit, but no, it hasn't. I still need to plan. I need to rehearse. Um, uh, edutainment as an example um, I hear that a lot when people are like oh you know you're so funny you're naturally funny and oh my god your jokes and I'm like you I know it sounds really horrible and I know it sounds really uh, wrong to say it but I prepare my jokes because I'm not naturally funny I have to prepare my jokes and have them ready so I can drop them at appropriate occasions and make it look at all natural <laughs> but but it's not natural I need to <clears throat> I need to prepare them Wow. Just so that, you know, because I know that I know that they work. I know that it works. So when I prepare for a webinar, I spend less time preparing the webinar and more time preparing the jokes. I know it sounds horrible, <laughs> <laughs> but but that's the reality. I spend more time uh, uh, preparing the icebreakers and the jokes and the quips. And unfortunately, it's always, always 99% of the times my husband is the one who can, I call it the spousal verbal abuse. Um, <laughs> he's the one who suffers most. All of my jokes are around him, but it's fine. He doesn't listen to my webinars. It's okay. Wow. Well, this has been really, really amazing. I, I know now why Selena referred to you as a guest. I mean, this has been mind-blowingly cool. Um, I've <laughs> learned just an insane amount in talking to you. So I have um, one final question, which I know you've heard me ask since you've listened to our interviews, uh, and it's how we finish every interview at the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I oh god. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm not going to I'm not just pretending, but I still haven't figured out. So I have my diary of kind of notes and quips and jokes that I dropped at you, and I still don't have an answer to this. Uh, because I think because I think it's different for everyone. I think it's different for everyone. But if I were to if I were to say one thing, um, I would say it's. <clears throat> It's kind of owning up to your owning up to your story. So one of the biggest things in my case, one of the biggest things that stopped me from doing anything online was my accent um, and the way that I looked. And last week, just last week, I'm not talking about the entire three years. Just last week, I've received three emails from people telling me how horrible my accent is, and how it affects my credibility, and how it makes me. <clears throat> how it's hard for them to understand. Um, someone actually said, you know what, I've heard good thing about good things about your course, but I went through your webinar and I could not sit through 10 minutes because I could not understand a word because of your accent. So, 
and it is it is interesting because that is one thing that stopped me from launching my business for a really long time um the way i look the way i talk um i'm not white enough i'm not pretty enough i'm not english enough uh, i'm not american enough uh and uh, and the and for the first almost one year of my business i did not own up to that so i kind of pretended that i wasn't pakistani i kind of pretended that i wasn't i did not have an office in my closet and the moment that i did the moment that i did accept that this is who i am and i really cannot do anything about it dude hollywood makes fun of my accent at every corner i cannot escape my accent <laughs> every single <laughs> um, movie that's about a south asian has the same accent that i have right now i cannot escape it so um so i was like you know what i'll just own up to it. and the moment i did it just my business just blew up i was like okay what just happened um that's because i started making fun of my own accent um i started making fun of the way i look i started making fun of my closet office um and i think that is really the most important thing that has just completely and this it does attract weirdos um i got an email last week one of the emails that i got was where someone said oh you do understand that when i receive an email from someone with a a, a postal address in saudi arabia it is really scary because it makes me think of either terrorism slash spam and i'm still trying to figure out how spam works with terrorism is it terrorist spam spam or spam <laughs> terrorism i have no idea and then she recommended that i should call my i should use a more universal pen name like b um <laughs> and i really was tempted to write back and tell her that the reason my business is where it is right now is because i don't do any of those things i'm comfortable with the the full story um and when i wasn't my business wasn't taking off um so i think that's really what if you own up to your story whatever that story is how no matter how uncomfortable it is no matter how much it sucks no matter who in hollywood makes fun of your <laughs> your story um it's still okay i think this is what that 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 ownership is what makes you unmistakable amazing um this has been just profound and beautiful and, and thought provoking uh where can people learn more about your work Oh, it was such a pleasure and even though it's 11 p.m. and I'm an old fart who goes to sleep at 9:30 but it's such I'm so glad that I stayed up for this so thank you so much for having me uh, my website is thepersuasionrevolution.com um I have a free facebook community that I talked about it's called 60 second persuasion and yeah that's it awesome and for everybody listening we will wrap the show with that Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Have a catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner 3 days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World, and this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving no matter how much technology evolves. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over, it's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The 4 Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that. 
and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.